Mission Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. Welcome to episode 17 of season two. I sometimes get nervous saying the episode number because I'm always afraid I'm going to say it wrong. Well, not really say it wrong, but say the wrong number. Um, Today, I'm going to share a conversation I had with Rachel Fordham. This is an interview where I feel like it would be helpful for you guys to hear maybe a little bit more about Rachel and about her books before we dive into the interview. So I'm going to read the press material from the publisher, Ravel. Um, And this press release, this press material is all about her latest book, which releases June 1st. Rachel Fordham's historical novels have received high praise for their warm and engaging storylines filled with romance, adventure, and happy endings. A Lady in Attendance comes out June 1st. In this book, Fordham beautifully blends these same great features in a novel about overcoming obstacles in the past to make room for a better future. After spending the last five years in a New York State reformatory, Hazel is desperate to begin life anew, but she knows that a tarnished name could ruin her chances. She accepts a job as Dr. Gilbert Watts' lady in attendance, but does so under an alias so she can hide her shameful past. Dr. Watts has come to enjoy the pleasant chatter of his new dental assistant, but he senses her sadness and wonders if there is more to her story than she shared with him. As their friendship deepens, Hazel must grapple with her desire to trust him. Can Dr. Watts and Hazel's friends help expunge her record? And can Hazel possibly find hope and love along the way? So guys, I don't know about you, but I had never heard of a lady in attendance. And Rachel and I talk about what that is. And um, it was a very specific job description at this time in history. And um, we talk about her book and her writing career, and I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is Rachel Fordham. Rachel, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Your novel, A Lady in Attendance, releases June 1st. Can you tell me about this book? Yeah. um, Actually, I just got my author copies today, so I'm super excited about it. Um, Oh, yay. I know. It's always exciting. You get that box, and I I keep thinking, one of these days, it will just feel like, whatever, more books. But so far, it's still (laughs) exciting. Yeah. Um, Okay. I like switch gears because I'm writing a different book right now. Um, Oh, you can tell us about that later. (laughs) Yeah. So... I love this book because we kind of get, we get a character who has just like a lot of stuff in her past. Um, and so she actually has just left a New York state reformatory and she's seeking a job. She takes a job at a dental office as a lady in attendance, which is basically a dental assistant and meets the very shy and quiet, um, Gilbert Watts, who's the dentist. And they sort of like have to face like, is there any chance for a future until you sort out the past and forgiveness and stuff like that? So it's a fun journey. Wow. So um, I started reading this book and I I have to, I have so many books that I would love to read for the podcast and, and other books that are coming out as well. But this is one that I just, I would like to finish it maybe over the summer or something. But um, I just, I think I especially love a redemption story. So that's what draws me to this so much. Um, what inspired you to write this novel? 
Well, I think a couple of different things. Um, for one, um, the main male character is a dentist. Um, my husband's also a dentist and you know how when something is, uh, like close to home for you, you notice it more. Um, anyway, so we would watch movies and stuff and notice that the dentist was either comic relief or a villain. And I just sort of one day was like, I want to write a dentist who's like romantic. Who's the, who's the hero of the story. So that's how I knew what his career was going to be. Um, and then I, we had gone back to where my husband went to dental school and I was touring the, or we went to show our kids where um, he'd gone to school and they had a display that talked about dentists and dental assistants and stuff. And I was like, it just kind of was like, Oh, this is how I can work all that together. Um, mm-hmm. As far as her like redemptions um, being in the reformatory and all of that, I knew that she wanted a past. And when I started researching reformatories, like the whole movement was just kind of inspiring to me. I actually, if I hadn't already known I wanted to go the dental route, probably would have been tempted to try to story all about reformatories. Um, as it is, it's her backstory. Yeah. Those are kind of the, the little points that triggered this story. Okay. So I have, um, if I think about it, I can only probably notice a handful of stories um, on TV or movies or whatever about dentists. And yeah, they're usually not the good guy. Um, right. So I can appreciate that, that you wanted to cast and one there, in. And there aren't a lot of like, you know, back in the 1800s, we've got like nurses and teachers. Um, and so I was excited, like a dental assistant. I've never seen that as a female career either. So. Right, right. That's different. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that Hazel, your main character, was in a reformatory um, before she finds the job as a lady in attendance. But the lady in attendance job, you mentioned it's a dental assistant. I had never heard of it before. Um, before reading about your book and starting to read your book. So it makes me think of a dental hygienist, but it's not the same thing, is it? Can you kind of explain what it is? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, this is kind of your Victorian era where people are really, you know, especially your upper class, I guess, are worried about um, appearances and all that kind of stuff. And so um, by saying, I have a lady in attendance, it meant that women were more free to go to the dental office and get their work done without having to have a chaperone. Mm-hmm. And so a large part of her reason for being there is to make it so his clientele can come easier. And then also, um, you know, she would sterilize instruments and, and hand instruments, make sure the patients are comfortable, things like that. But, um, you know, so it kind of hit, you know, now we don't have dental assistants for the purpose of making people comfortable. Well, you know, at least not in the same way. And right. so, yeah, that was kind of, I think, the triggering um, event. They'd either call them an attending lady or a lady in attendance. Okay. So at that time, someone of status or a woman of status would not go to the dentist alone because it could be. Right. Yeah. So they would typically, you know, if it was like a woman, she would have to take a chaperone, especially as, you know, a single woman. Right. And so it just made it, it made it simpler to be like, Oh, I'm a dentist and I have a lady in attendance, you know, so you can come. Um, so kind of yeah. a marketing thing, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So speaking of Hazel's backstory again, with the, the New York reformatory that she was in, tell me, you mentioned some of the research you did. Can you tell me more about what you had to do to research that? Yeah. So originally, you know, I was like, oh, I think it'd be fun to tackle a character who's 
gone to prison, but then when I started reading up on prisons and um, different consequences for different crimes and stuff, I found sort of a trail led me to the reformatories. And kind of around this time, there were some kind of trailblazers saying, you know what, I think criminals could change. Because up until this point, I mean, maybe some people believe that in their heart, but there was still sort of this idea of like, once a criminal, always a criminal, you've got bad blood kind of things. And so you have this group of people saying, well, maybe if we educated them or if we, you know, brought in preachers and pastors and we um, exposed them to all these different ways of living, like maybe people could change. In, mm -hmm. in some ways, it was sort of like a juvenile delinquent hall because um, the age at that time was 25 that could go. And I think beyond that, they were like, oh, they're too hard and decayed kind of thing. And so um, there was kind of these group of people saying, let's, you know, let's see if this will work. And so the place that I have Hazel going um, was based off of a New York reformatory. Um, I'm going to have to look at the book to remember where. But anyways, it's in New York and not in New York City. Um, it's on a river. I can't think of the name of it. But they, what they would do is they had like a three-story building and you would come and you would kind of start like, I want to say you start in the middle. Um, and if you, you know, weren't following the rules and working with the group, you would go down and other, you know, good behavior kind of led you to different groups of people. Eventually they had like within the iron bar, um, bars, like little cottages where people could go before they left. And it was very strict, but they did, you know, they did uh, religious education. They did taught like life skills. A lot of the women who were there, you know, were just like, you know, drunks living on the streets or they were, um, probably that's, sorry, that's probably not the right term. Um, um, lots of prostitution, stuff like that. And so a lot of people yeah. who just probably had never really been exposed to other ways of living. And so it's kind of, it was really cool learning about some of these people who are behind, you know, who are behind this. Cause to me, it seems like common knowledge that people can change, but that right. wasn't at the time. And I'd love to dive more into it. It's very inspiring. That's cool. Yeah. So even though Hazel has faced some traumatic experiences in her life, she also encounters in the book, hope, friendship, and love. How do those elements play out in a lady in attendance? Well, I think that, you know, she's, um, she's separated from her family. Uh, they kind of nicely tell her like, you can't come back right now. Like you've left too big of a blemish on our family. Um, mm -hmm. So she's kind of all alone. They did send her money. This is all pretty early in the book, but she, um, it's stolen. And so she has to go find a job. She's just very alone. Um, she, when she tries to get a job, you know, using her normal name, people don't want someone who's been in a reformatory working for them. She's just kind of alone. And then she ends up going to the boarding house. She ends up getting the job at the dental office. And suddenly she starts finding like people she can trust and people who can see past this mark. Well, some of it they don't know right away, but you know, who believe in her. Mm. And I just think that it's kind of this testament to like, um, you know, we're all capable of change, but sometimes that change and our belief in ourselves and forgiving ourselves and all that, like is a lot easier when we, when we have people rally around us too. Yes, absolutely. So to obtain a better future, Hazel has to expunge her past. Um, can you provide some hints about how this is achieved without giving any spoilers? Yeah. So when she leaves the reformatory, um, you know, she's, she sends out like letters to kind of inquire about different things in her past, but she doesn't really have any luck. And she ends up meeting this little cohort of friends who kind of have different skills who 
um, decide that they believe in her enough when she finally tells them about her past to um, try to rally together and help her. And so they kind of, I don't even know how to do it without giving away, but yeah, they kind of decide <laughs> to try to put some pieces together and it's kind of, I wouldn't say that the book is a mystery or anything, but it has some elements of mystery and suspense that are woven in, which are kind of make your romantic story a little bit more exciting. And, yeah, you know, they kind of bond as they tackle these things too. Mm, sounds cool. So what do you hope readers will take away from this book? Well, like with all of my other books, like my hope is always first that they just – you know, that they have found a few hours of just enjoyment. You know, I hope they enjoy it. I hope they sigh over the romance. I hope that they find a character they relate to. As Mm -hmm. far as like messages, I hope that they, you know, will maybe stop and think about people that they judge based on something that's happened in their past and maybe, you know, see if there's a way that they could help them overcome it. You know, that we would maybe think a little bit more about forgiveness and, just kind of the idea that we're all walking together in this life, you know, and that maybe there's people we could go walk beside um, that are walking alone. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your writing career. How did you get started and how did you get that first book contract? Yeah. Um, so I started, it's been about six years now. I had just had my fifth baby. So I have a big family. Um, and I was just, the way our house is set up, I actually had my baby sleeping in my closet, which is really big. Um, but that was also where I had kind of a little craft corner set up. And so I couldn't do that right then because he was always sleeping. And I was just sort of feeling like I just needed a creative outlet. And I was telling my husband that and he said, well, you read so much. Why don't you write a book? And I just said, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to try that. And Um, My goal at the time, um, and I think that that was one of the reasons it was so easy for me to write, was that I wasn't writing for an audience. Like, I was writing for me. I thought, oh, it'd be fun if my daughter could read it someday. But I wrote a book, and it was just thrilling. It's like this whole part of myself that I'd never discovered woke up. Like, I was like I had an adrenaline rush, which just sounds funny because you're sitting at a computer writing. But I could write all night. I was just so excited and so into it. It was very fun. And then... um, I wrote it and then I wrote another one. And in between those two, I went and read a whole bunch of my favorite books. And I asked myself, why is this my favorite? Why did this stick with me? How did the author do it? And it's sort of like I put myself through a little writing class um, because I had no idea that there were writing conferences or critique groups. Like I was very ignorant. Um, And so then I wrote um, what became The Hope of Azure Springs. It wasn't called that originally. Um, And I wrote it. I went to lunch with a friend who's an author and I said, I had never told anyone that I wrote. I said, what do I do? What do I do now? Like I wrote this book and she said, well, you should query an agent. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll do that. I went home and I had to Google, what does it mean to query an agent? I had no (laughs) idea. And so I queried an agent and I am not a very good um, story for new authors because it doesn't normally go. I didn't know at the time, it doesn't normally go as easily as it did for me because I sent, I wrote a letter that night. I sent it out the next morning and by the next day I had, requests for full manuscripts and ended up with multiple offers for representation. And then, and you know, I think back and I think, Oh, maybe it was just because we had a lot of hard things come later. Maybe I just needed this to be my, like continue being my outlet anyway. So then my um, agent that I ended up signing with found Ravel and I've been really happy there. So I've just continued to publish with them 
Um, I wrote continued writing during that time. And so Ravel was actually able to buy um, more than one book when I um, things finally, when we were sorting out contract stuff with them. Great. Awesome. Um, How many books is this one now? This is number four. Um, You know, for sure be some others. So that's exciting. Um, Right. So it's been a really fun journey. Yeah, it sounds like it. Can you tell me about what you're writing now? Yes, let's see. So I actually have just turned in my book that will be my 2022 release. Um, This Mm -hmm. book that's coming out actually has the first chapter of it in there. Okay, so it's like, this is how I pitched it to Ravel, and it's kind of changed. But my idea was, Les Mis meets the Midwest. Um, Just kind of this idea of someone um, with a troubled past, like having it kind of change overnight. And then um, sort of there being some baggage that comes with how that happened. Um, And that's how it started. And then it evolved into something else. But um, I'm actually really, really excited about it. It doesn't have a title yet, uh, but it's it has like a little bit unique pacing and sort of an interesting conflict, I think. And so I'm mm-hmm. I wish that it could come out sooner because I'm I'm really excited about it. And then so that's kind of sitting there in the wings waiting. And then I just am working on another one that I haven't even thought about how to describe it. Yet. It's a little bit like Little Women meets Beauty and the Beast meets roller skating meets the Midwest. Oh, wow. <laughs> Are you from the Midwest? Is that why you're drawn? No. So it's funny because when I started writing, I would have defined myself um, if I had to like brand myself, I guess, as an author who likes to take one little tiny piece of history and then build a story around it. But my first book that was that Ravel bought was The Hope of Azure Springs. And it just happened to take place in Iowa because the orphan trains went through Iowa frequently. And so I picked Iowa. And mm. so then they said, well, what other books do you have that take place in the Midwest? We'd like to kind of brand you so that readers know what to expect. It's kind of the prairie romance type of thing. Um, um, and now I think now that I've been writing longer, I, I'm a little more free to branch out. But they, I get it. Like you want readers to kind of know what they're getting into as they get to know you as a writer. Mm-hmm. And so it just sort of ended up that way. And now I keep going back to Iowa because I really love doing um, like little Easter eggs where characters from other books pop up here and there. Like not enough of their series. Yeah. And so I just keep going back to Iowa just because it it makes it fun. I can say, oh, I could have that character pass through this town or have this happen. And so, yeah. so that's why now Iowa just feels like home. Oh, that's cool. But you don't have, you've never lived there. No, I passed through it. Um, I've driven through it. This book that I'm writing right now has a lot more um, like factual stuff. And so I've actually like um, gotten to know some people that are connected to this factory that's part of the story, um, like their descendants of it. Um, and so, you know, I have these connections, but it's, it, it is just kind of funny how it ended up that way. I'm li- I live yeah. in Washington state. So someday maybe I'll write one that takes place here. Right. That's cool. So this book that's coming out in June actually takes place in, um, it, it's not in the Midwest. It's in um, Buffalo. Well, just outside of Buffalo, oh. New York. And um, I picked that location because it's one of the first places to start with the dental assistant movement. And also my husband went to dental school in Buffalo, New York. So it was, it was fun to um, have my dental book take place there. 
Cool. Yeah, I am. Um, that's closer to where I live. I'm in Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania. So, oh, okay. Um, not terribly close to Buffalo, but I'm not, I'm like an hour from the New York. You have the pretty line, trees, state so. line. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> um, and it's a little warmer down here usually than it is oh, in nice. Buffalo. So yeah, we got a lot of snow, but we loved it, <laughs> and so it's fun to feature it in a book. Yes. Um. So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Um, I think that, okay, so I'll backtrack. One time I was over at a friend's house and her husband was kind of like, why would you read fiction? Why would you write fiction? It's a waste of time, which is kind of silly anyway. Because if you watch TV or anything like, you know, mm-hmm. it's fiction too. Um, but I was thinking, it like left me thinking about it after I left his house. And I'm like... Cause I was like wrestling with it. I wished I'd had a good answer for him, like a good reply because I have always found fiction and especially historical fiction, like really valuable in my life. Like not only for entertainment, but I get to learn about like events that happened in the past that could potentially happen again. You know, I, I, it's always been educational and, and entertaining. Yeah. Um, but I think it's more than that. Like, I think that it's not, it's not just fiction because we're also pulling like, when I write a character, I'm making them up, but I'm pulling um, qualities from people I've met or people I'd like to become. And I'm pulling from relationships of people I know. And and so it's it's kind of like this big smorgasbord of, of um, truth, you know, kind of mixed together in a way that obviously is fiction. But it's not... I mean, there's just still so much that we can learn and gain from it. And in an entertaining, non-threatening way, I'm not someone who likes to necessarily be like told exactly what to do. But when I read a story, it's like this very free place to learn as I travel on journeys with different people. And so I always feel like I walk away from it and I'm like, okay, like I, I resonated with this character or I want to treat my husband as nice as this character did, or like there's just lessons mm-hmm. like woven into it all. And so that was a really long way of not answering your question, but no, um, I love that answer. That's, um, I think that was a tack that I haven't heard an author take before because it's usually they focus on like the history, why it's important to know history, but you focused uh-huh. on more the, the story part of it. And that is so important too. So I'm really glad you took that like perspective with it. Yeah. Yeah. People like to ask like, Oh, are your characters real? Are they based on anyone? And it's sort of strange because they are like, and they're not at the same time. You know, like, I don't know if I could write about frustration or anger, any of these feelings, but I haven't felt some of those. Obviously I'm putting them in a different setting and in a different character's body and experience. But I do Mm -hmm. feel like there's a lot of truth woven into all of those things. Absolutely. It's, you can't, I don't think you can write without drawing on your own life experience, um, whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel the same way. Like my characters are nobody specific, but um, they obviously take on elements. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> they take on elements of, of different people. Yeah. So Rachel, what is the best way for listeners to follow you? Um, I try to be really active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then I, I have a newsletter that usually goes out once a month. Um, and it usually, it's got what's happening and stuff. So, and you can sign up for that on my website, rachelfordham.com 
so yeah, I'd love to connect. I try to respond to anybody who reaches out to me. Um, I, I will say, I thought that when I started writing that it was, um, for me, well, and it was for me, um, and it was this fun and exciting thing, but like the thing that I love the most about writing is that I write this book, it goes out into the world and it connects me with people from all over. And that's, so that's my favorite part of it all. Yeah. I would be happy to connect with any of you. That's awesome. And I think that's so, that's so important for authors to, for the readers to know that, that they can connect with the author and, um, express what they liked about a book or, um, just that you're a real person and not like this person in an ivory tower writing, right. um, beautiful books. Although you are that too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, so thank you so much for being with us today, Rachel. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, friends, thank you for joining us again. As you heard Rachel say, she loves to hear from her readers. So I hope you'll go check out the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. There you can find links to Rachel's books, and I'll have links there to her accounts on on social media and her website. So you'll be able to get in touch with her. If you've enjoyed Historical Fiction Unpacked, will you please subscribe if you haven't already? And I'm so grateful for the really good reviews that we've been getting. And I would love it if you haven't left a review yet, please go and leave a review and a star rating. That would be super helpful. And it just personally like lifts my spirits when I know that people are are listening and enjoying the show. Also join our Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, it's at historical fiction unpacked podcast group. You can just search for that or you can go to my show notes and there will be a link to it there. Well, my friends, I'm going to leave you with a quote as usual. This one is from Mary Catherine Bateson and it relates to what Rachel was saying about history and story. The human species thinks in metaphors and learns through stories. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, and I will talk to you again next week. 